Good job. Great job. Thank you, Joyful Sound. Let's give them another hand. What a blessing. I know you're right at the beginning of school, but uh, you're going to have a full year this year, I know, traveling at least once a month. Is that what y'all do? Or is it more than that? Three times a month? Once a month you don't go. Is that it? Steve started laughing over there. Dr. Krauss. Uh, so God blesses us here with music, and so thank you for that. And Cindy Senator, thank you. Cindy is our glue that holds the music together here. And uh, I said this last week, regularly people will ask me, what was that piece that she played for the offering? And I'm like, I don't have a clue. But I email her and she tells me, and I was like, oh, I should have known that. But uh, thank you so much, Cindy, for blessing us as well. Tomorrow's Labor Day. And uh, a lot of times at the chapel, if it's July the 4th, I have folks stand if they've served in our military. thinking, how do you honor laborers? You, you honor people that are gainfully employed by allowing them to stay seated. So we should have all the freeloaders stand up. No, we're not going to do that either. I'm sorry. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. For those of you that have been here regularly or fairly often during the summer, we're at the end of Matthew. You say, well, when did you start preaching through Matthew? 2001. But i got to explain. I preached through about half of Matthew in 2001, and then we've preached through a lot of other books until this year. I went back and picked up and finally finished. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. We're going to look at verses 11 through 20. And the title of the message is Following Instructions. How are you all about following instructions? Women are typically better than that than men are. Men don't even like asking for instructions. Be honest, men. How many of you have ever put a swing set together? Playground equipment. How many of you actually read the instructions before you... Some of you did. There's some engineer types in here. I would expect that from Phil. You read the instructions. I came home from a leadership retreat of a church I was serving in Gastonia, North Carolina. And uh, my wife and I had bought this swing set. She said, why don't you put that together this afternoon? I thought, that sounds, I've been gone all weekend. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> and I solicited the help of the guy that lived across the street from me. Guess what he did for a living? He was a preacher too. I opened it up, and I did read the first part of the instructions that said, estimated time, 60 to 90 minutes to put this together. I thought, 60 or 90 minutes? We're going to have this done in 30 minutes. One way to shortcut is don't read the instructions. I've seen swing sets before. Three hours later, you think I'm kidding. Three hours later, we had it put together. The only problem is we had a lot of parts we didn't use. And I don't know if they were extra or if we had read the instructions, we'd have figured that out. But I'm going to encourage you this morning to follow the proper instructions. We're going to look at the encounter and the account of the end of the book of Matthew. There's two groups of people that get two different sets of instructions. One, both of them come from religious leaders. And everybody in here is following one or other of these groups of instructions right now. You may not even be aware of it, but you're either following the first set of instructions or you're following the second set of instructions. Let me read the passage and let's unpack this. Verse 11, chapter 28 of Matthew. Now, while they were on their way, 
some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say, His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. First group of people that got instructions were the guards. Verse 11 says, while they were on their way. Who was they? These were the women. The women that had come to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning and discovered an empty tomb. Had an encounter with Jesus. And what did Jesus tell them to do? Go tell my knucklehead disciples. Is that is knucklehead not in y'all's? Go tell my disciples that they're to go ahead of me. He had already told them. After the resurrection, go to Galilee, and I'll meet you there. He tells the women, go tell them. They're hiding in a room somewhere. Go tell them to meet me in Galilee. While the women are on their way, the guards go into town. And they go to the chief priest, to the religious leader. Why'd they go there? They were Roman guards. They were really under the auspices of Pilate. But see, the religious leaders were scared to death that something was going to happen to the body of Jesus. So they went to Pilate and said, give us a guard so that we can guard this tomb and make sure nothing happens to the body of Christ. And so Pilate gave them a Roman guard, which would have been 12 to 16 men, well-equipped, fighting machines that were going to guard the tomb. They also put a Roman seal on it. It had the authority of Rome on the seal of the tomb of Jesus Christ. But something had happened. Jesus wasn't there anymore. The guards head into town. If they had headed to Pilate, Pilate is going to have them executed. In fact, it said only some of them went into town. They didn't all go. I don't know what the others, let's say four went in, we don't know, but if four went to the religious leaders, what did the other twelve do? Did they go hide? Did they stay at the tomb? Did they look around? Like, where did they put him? But they go to the religious leaders, and they, it says they told them all that had happened. Now, we need to stop there a minute. Well, what had happened? Well, what had happened was, on Easter Sunday morning, in fact, if you want to look at this same chapter, let me just read verses 2 through 4. Not on the screen. You're going to have to trust me. Or read, read, read along your own copy of God's Word or your iPhone. And behold, here's what they told the religious leaders. Here's all that had happened. A severe earthquake occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. That's what had happened. 
That's what they told the religious leaders. And I want you to notice what the religious leaders do. They don't debate what happened. They don't fact check what happened. They call the Sanhedrin together. Emergency meeting. Bells and whistles are going off. Get them all together. And they convened and deliberated. What are we going to do? Jesus isn't in the tomb anymore. What are we going to do? The guards have told us that an earthquake has occurred. An angel has rolled a stone away. His body's gone. So these 70 men that make up the Sanhedrin, Pharisees and Sadducees, along with the high priest, here's the best they could come up with. All right, guys, here's what you're going to do. You Roman fighting men who have been sworn on your life that you're not going to let something happen to this body of Christ, you're going to tell everybody that you went to sleep. You know, you step back, if you really take that at face value, you're thinking, is that the best you could come up with? We fell asleep. Now check this out. Here's what you're going to tell everybody. We fell asleep, and while we were asleep, the disciples came and stole the body. Well, this begs one huge question. If you're asleep, how do you know what happened to the body? Why didn't somebody in the last 30 years, because the Bible says this story was widely spread and is until this day. Matthew wrote the gospel about 30 years after these events happened. Did not anybody say, let me just ask you something. You were asleep, right? How do you know what happened to the body if you're asleep? Second thing, if that's the story they're telling, then why weren't they out looking for the body? All they had to do was produce the body. Because the disciples are claiming Jesus has been risen from the dead. Why didn't they just trot His body through the streets? Well, the reason is they couldn't. Because Jesus was alive. And He made many appearances. Over the next 40 days after the resurrection, on one occasion He appeared to more than 500 at one time. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But that just kind of puzzles me. So that's the best the religious leaders can do. They come up with this cockamamie tale, and they give them a large sum of money. Now keep in mind, these 12 to 16 men guarding a tomb, they would have slept in shifts, but somebody's responsible for guarding the body. Perhaps three or four stay awake, and if something happens, they wake everybody else up. Listen, if these little timid disciples had bebopped into the garden. These Roman soldiers would have made short work of them. Secondly, if they had got over there struggling to move that stone, it would have woke the guards up. That's not what happened. Who moved the stone? God did. And you've heard this before, but He moved it not so Jesus could get out, but so that we could get in. Why? Because He's not there. He's risen from the dead. And so they give the Roman soldiers, listen, they didn't have to give them money. You know why? Here's the deal the Roman soldiers had looking, had staring them in the face. All we got to do is go to Pilate and say, Pilate, these Roman guards didn't do their job. And the penalty was death. But not only do they get off scot-free, they get paid for it. Imagine this. You're at home. You're a young person. 
You're at home. Your mom's gone for the weekend. You break her favorite coffee cup. And your dad comes and says, I'm going to replace the cup. She'll never know. Here's $10. Don't tell your mom. That sounds like a pretty good deal. That's pretty much what happened to these guards. Hey, here's what you're going to say, and here's a large group, large sum of money to keep your mouth shut. And the guards are going, cool. And so what story are they going to tell? They're going to tell the story the religious leaders told them to tell. And that is, there is no resurrection. There was no resurrection. The disciples came and stole his body away. These 11 men who were scared to death, yet they came and went up against us and stole his body away while we were sleeping. And the religious leaders promised, hey, if this comes to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. The word keep you out of trouble is literally you will be free from care. And so that's the story that was told up until the writing of the Gospel of Matthew. As Matthew's writing this Gospel, he's saying, that's their story. And they're sticking to it. It's been 30 years. And that's what you're still hearing from the religious leaders. You see, they had a vested interest in getting rid of Jesus. And they sure didn't want the story out that he's risen from the dead. Well, that's one set of instructions. And they followed those instructions to the letter. And 30 years later, it was still the story they were sticking to. The rest of the story is that Jesus goes to the mountain that he had designated in Galilee. And whether this was a mountain that he had perhaps commissioned the missionary disciples on the first time or just he had passed it one day and say, after I've risen from the dead, meet me there. He designated the mountain. And the Bible says that they proceeded to Galilee. Now Matthew doesn't give us a whole lot of detail. You can read the other gospel accounts where basically eight days after the resurrection, they're still in Jerusalem. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. Well, to go fishing, you didn't go fishing in the Dead Sea. That was the closest body of water. You had to go back to the Sea of Galilee. How long would it take you to get to the Sea of Galilee? About a week. So it's about 15 days after the resurrection. The disciples get back. And we know from other gospel accounts, the first time the disciples see Jesus in Galilee, they're doing what? They're fishing. And he calls to them from the side of the lake. Matthew kind of skips all that and just gets to the pertinence. And it's when he appears to them, to the mountain he had designated, and it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. The word here is the word that means to see or to know. I believe he's talking about Jesus' closest followers, the 11 disciples and some of the 500. What do they do? When you're in the presence of Jesus, what do you do? You worship. It's interesting to note, this really had not happened before chapter 28 of Matthew. Jesus, who was worthy of worship from the very beginning, really had not been worshipped in this way until the women go to the tomb. And when they see Jesus, it says they worship. And now the disciples, as they see 
Jesus. And it's not just the disciples. I believe the crowd gathered here is the 500 that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. When he appeared to more than 500 on one occasion. A lot of reasons why I believe that. For one, back in Jerusalem, we know there's only about 120 followers. So these were the people where Jesus had spent much of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee. And they had heard that Jesus had risen from the dead, but they hadn't seen it yet with their own eyes. So as they see him and knowing they worship, but it says some were doubtful. Some were doubtful. You can put yourself in their sandals and say, why would you doubt? Well, you've heard that Jesus was crucified. He's dead. Now he's alive. Had you ever experienced that before? And so when you hear it and you see him from a distance, you're puzzled, you're doubtful, you're wavering in your opinion, and then Jesus speaks. So the follower's response to Jesus was to worship him. And then Jesus gives instructions. It says Jesus came up and spoke to them. And I think as Jesus got a little closer and spoke, the sound of his voice, his presence. I don't think there were doubters anymore. And I believe Jesus is about to give what we call the Great Commission, not just to 11 men, but to the church. And I believe there was 500 plus there that day because Paul tells us he appeared to more than 500 on one occasion. This has to be that occasion. Jesus came up and spoke to them and said first, All authority has been given to me. All authority. You see, Jesus is Lord. I've heard testimonies. I probably said this myself when I was a teenager. You know, I trusted Christ at this age, but I didn't make Him Lord until this age. I understand what we mean by that testimony. But hear me. You don't make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. Acts chapter 2. Verse 36 said, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, Messiah, Savior, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus is Lord. So when he says to the disciples, All authority has been given to me, Jesus left heaven. Philippians chapter 2. Jesus left that to come to earth to humble himself, submit himself as a servant. He has done the service now. He has died on the cross. And he says, all authority has been given to me. Where? On earth and in heaven. That rules out everything else. All authority. There's nowhere that he doesn't have authority. He is Lord. And so the basis of what he's about to tell them, and this is what we're going to finish with, Jesus says, what I'm about to tell you, you need to understand this first. I'm about to give you your marching orders, about to give you your instructions, but you need to understand all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So, go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore. That is one word in the Hebrew, and it's occurred three times already in this passage. It talks about the women while they were on their way. Same word. Then it says the disciples headed to Galilee. Same word. Here again, same word. Go therefore. And I've heard a lot of preachers think this is the imperative of the passage. It's really not. 
What Jesus is saying is, as you go, you're going to go. He's going to tell them later, before he ascends from the Mount of Olives, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. So you're going to go. That's not the imperative. What's the imperative? Make disciples. So Jesus says, as you go, students, as you go to school tomorrow, adults, as you go to work tomorrow, as you go home today, as you're in your neighborhood, make disciples. As you're at church, what are you to do? Make disciples. What does that mean? A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. The word means pupil. It means learner. It means follower. We call these 12, one of them's dead now, so we're down to 11. We call them the disciples. Later they take on the name apostle. But as a child of God, we're all now followers of Jesus Christ. What are we to do? We're to duplicate ourselves in other people. We're to show Jesus to other people. Why? So that they can follow Jesus themselves. That's how they're going to become followers. I used to have this mistaken notion, if we could just get enough people to come here to preach or preach, we'd have more disciples. No. You know what I found out? Your testimony in your friend's life is more important than what the preacher's got to say. And I've done some phenomenal things in my life to try to draw a crowd. One of my favorites was the 50-foot banana split. Anybody ever had a 50-foot banana split? You're thinking, where do you get a 50-foot banana? Well, hold on. You get a gutter. Found somebody in my church in Gastonia that was in the gutter business. He came and I said, can you get us a 50-foot gutter? He said, yeah, I'll donate it. I said, that's great. So he delivered it. Unfortunately, delivered about five days before I needed it. I went to the grocery store, me and an intern, two grocery carts. It's fun going grocery shopping where you basically say, I need all your bananas. And a lot of ice cream and nuts and topping and all that. Problem is, this was going to occur on a Wednesday night. He had delivered the gutter like Saturday. When I flipped the gutter over, there was like slugs and all this kind of stuff in there. So I never told anybody that. <laughs> Man, you'll appreciate I got a garden hose. Actually, I was in Gastonia, so I got a hose pipe. Some of you are like, what is a hose pipe? I didn't know either until I lived in Gastonia. I rinsed it out, and then, ladies, I lined it with tinfoil. Tenfold will cover a multitude of sins. <laughs> so that Wednesday night at our church, we had 150 teenagers eating ice cream and bananas and toppings out of a 50-foot gutter. You just give them a spoon and say, there's the trough. We ain't leaving till we're heaving. Go ahead. <laughs> and I stood back feeling kind of special. We got 150 people here tonight. And I got the tap on the shoulder, and it was God saying, Robert, while there's 150 people here, there's 10,000 students in this county that aren't at anybody's church tonight, and they're not coming for banana splits. And I finally realized what God really is asking of us is that we take Jesus where we go. Because you can invite people to church, and you could have something special, and you'll attract some. But what people are really looking for is that Jesus has made a difference in your life and you tell them about it. So Jesus says, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
they had been baptizing. Some of the Jewish groups baptized. It was kind of a ritual, spiritual cleansing. John the Baptist baptized, but he said, there's one coming after me. He's going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. So what do we do? We follow Jesus in baptism. We teach other people what Jesus has taught, taught us. We could make it more complicated than that, but it's really that simple. So my question is, have you ever trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, today needs to be the day of your salvation. You aren't going to be discipled yet because you've got to come to Christ and begin the process. Jesus died on the cross in your place. He paid the penalty for your sin. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible also says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you ever done that? And then my second question that I'll close with is this. Which set of instructions are you following today? The first set of instructions are deny the resurrection. And I doubt there's anybody in here that would raise their hand and say, yep, that's me. I don't believe it. I think they stole his body. Or I've come up with some other philosophy. I don't, probably nobody's going to acknowledge that. But there's people who live that way even in church. There's church members that are functional, practical deniers of the resurrection because they're living their life not making disciples. They're basically following the other set of instructions. The other set of instructions are, as you go, make disciples. And let me close with this thought. Here's the best news, because Jesus says this to close. Last verse, and lo. I don't know what that word sounds like to you, but it could also be translated behold, but it was basically a word saying, listen up, pay attention, let me get your attention, all eyes here, have I got your attention? I'm with you even to the end of the age. He said that to more than 500 people on a mountainside in Galilee, but today he says it to us because what does he say? I'm with you to the end of the age. Have we gotten to the end of the age yet? Not yet. We're closer than we've ever been. And Jesus says, I'm with you. He's given us as his followers the marching orders, but he doesn't say, do the best you can. I'll see you in heaven someday. No, he says, I'm with you. Jesus has all authority. He's told us what to do as his followers. And the best news we can hear today is this. He's with us. Let's pray together. Bow your heads. Between you and God, answer that question. Are you making disciples? You don't have to go to seminary and get a degree. You don't have to have a church as a staff member to make disciples. Some of you will have more impact in ministry than your preacher will as you just go and tell people the story of Jesus, what He's done in your life. Father, I pray for men and women, young people across the auditorium today. What good news we have to share. It's the gospel. It's good news. Jesus Christ has died in our place.
so that we could spend eternity with Him in heaven. And God, You've given us a job to do. Until we see You face to face, we are to be about making disciples as we go. So wherever we are tomorrow and the day after that and next week and next month, until You call us home, Lord, help us to understand the mission. We're making disciples. If we're not, we're denying the resurrection. So God, impress upon our hearts that today. And thank you that you have never left us and you won't. You're with us until you return. And you're still with us for eternity. We pray this in the name of Jesus. I want to thank you for being here. I'm Our chairman of the trustees is bringing up a piece of paper that I'm supposed to read. This is Ricky Cox. This is a tradition at the chapel that we announce the Labor Day offering. This is what has been received today in gifts and pledges. Everybody take a breath. 126000 to God be the glory. Let's sing that together as we stand. close our service with prayer. We thank you for your offering today. We thank you for your attendance with us today in celebration of a great year, 2016. We look forward to seeing you next year. Lord God, we're so grateful.